Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today I've got the uh, distinct privilege of actually being in the Portland area up here in Oregon. And I right now am sitting in the beautiful facilities of the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. This is my actually first time to visit. And I have two wonderful hostesses here who've given me a, a brief orientation of what is up here. But most of all, they're sharing their enthusiasm about some of the projects they're involved with. I have uh, Tam Lutz and Candice Jimenez. Uh, it's great to, to be here with you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Tam, let's talk about uh, your background first. You've been a guest on the show before. You and I were comparing notes. We we're saying, boy, this almost brings us a, you know, a history of American Indian living. We've been doing <laughs> the show for 18 years, and it was probably pretty early in the course of the show that we yeah, interviewed you. I'd say about 15 years ago. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So, and you were back then working for the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. I was. I had just come to the health board. Um, I'd been working for my own tribe at the Lummi Nation for about five years and came to the health board that was fairly, uh, had, had just started an epidemiology center, um, focusing on, um, data surveillance and providing technical assistance to tribes and starting some research projects to work with, partner with tribes in. So I came, I think the epicenter started in 1997 and I came in the year of 2000. So I've been here about 20 years. Wow. Wow. So folks in Indian country that deal with health issues, they know about tribal epicenters, they know about epidemiology, but I know a lot of lay people when they hear epidemiology, it sounds very scientific, but they still kind of scratch their heads. So how does an epidemiologist describe to a lay person what your discipline is about? Well, I'd say in the simplest of terms, it's the study of disease. Mm -hmm. um, and when people think about epidemiology, they probably think of data surveillance. But we also have other ways in which we study disease, both quantitatively through large data sets, through uh, tribal data collection specific to a particular tribe. But we also use things that are more qualitative in nature. Um, conversations with individuals, talking circles, focus mm -hmm. groups, mm -hmm. looking around communities. So there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of assess health in our communities. Excellent. So uh, your training is in epidemiology, isn't it? Well, I'm yes, I'm trained in public health um, and health administration. So very good. Well, we're glad you're using your talents and the, the big difference you've been making over the years. We're looking forward to learning together about some of the exciting things you're doing right here in this uh, part of the country and beyond, as we'll, we'll talk on the show. Across from you is uh, Candace. Candace, you're a little bit newer member of the team, but by no means uh, uh, someone who you know just got here yesterday, right? Tell us a little bit about your background. Right. Um, so I'm from the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, which is uh, here in the state of Oregon, Central Oregon. 
Um, and I started here with uh, Tam on various projects uh, related to maternal child health and uh, motor vehicle data. Uh, and I've been here since 2013. Great, great. Well, uh, thank you, ladies, for being willing to share with uh, American Indian Living. And really, what you're doing, this a little I know, I'm, I'm excited about the show because I know you're making a big difference in one of the leading causes of death, not just in Indian country, but throughout the country, especially as we talk about some of the people we're most interested in as far as having good health outcomes long term. Uh, we're speaking, of, of course, about our, our young people, our children, our grandchildren. So, Tam, tell us what you've been involved with and what you've been leading out with here. Sure. So the Northwest Tribal Epidemiology Center um, has been looking at one of the leading causes of death for children, and that's motor vehicle injury. Um, back in the early 2000s, we did an initial uh, study of child safety seat use because we knew that one of the most meaningful interventions to preventing death in uh, motor vehicle deaths in children uh, could be prevented if, if we could get people to use uh, car seats or be uh, properly secured in vehicles. So tell us, in, in the research you had done as far as epidemiology, looking at, at people groups, looking at tribal groups, did you have a, a sense that there was not... Uh, consistent use of car seats or did you, did you have some insight that this was a problem we knew that that uh that a disparity existed mm -hmm. that not only is it an important issue for non-tribal members but there's a disparity between when looking at native populations we didn't have an idea and that's why we needed to know kind of what what was happening in terms of car seat use we knew many of the tribes that we were working with had either outdated or did not have existing um, car seat laws. Mm -hmm. So we were really interested in looking what people were actually doing in terms of restraining kids in either car seats or seat belts. So initially, we just went out to tribal communities and we looked at what people were doing. We observed them at Head Start, at gas stations, at places where families gathered and collected information to um, where children were in the vehicle, how they were secured either by seat belts or car seats, who they were being driven by, how many children were in the vehicle, what their age and their and uh, size was for those kids. Um, and then once we knew that information and we shared that with the tribes we were working with, we had demonstrated the low use of car seat use in those communities. Uh, folks um, wanted us to go after funding to address this need. And so through the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparity, we, we uh, received some funding to um, conduct a research study around using tribal data to develop uh, tribe-specific interventions to improve child safety seat use. Uh, and Candace and I worked together on this where we did not only the vehicle observations like I described, but we also collected qualitative data to help us understand why we were seeing what we were seeing. So why were children driving with non-parent drivers more likely to be um, not properly restrained? Why were people more likely to have children not restrained when they were closer to home? And then ask questions around that in kind of a qualitative fashion, either just face-to-face, one-on-one interviews, or in a focus group-like setting, to help us inform um, activities or interventions that we might do for those spe specific communities. 
And not every tribe was exactly the same. Mm -hmm. One tribe might really be great with the younger babies that are in um, infant seats, but maybe in booster seats they had uh, far less um, children uh, properly restrained. So they're very specific to each community. Interesting. So, Candace, you've got, uh, I mean, what Tam is describing, she's got me scratching my head about what this looked like. Were you involved in actually doing some of those initial assessments as far as what was happening in, in different tribal venues? Um, so when I started back in 2013, uh, they were the, the project group was kind of in the midst of uh, looking at those car seat observations in the communities, mm-hmm. which I helped with a little bit. Um, and then we uh, shifted into what uh, Tam is talking about, looking at ways that uh, the tribes were sort of the leading example of how we could improve that. And so that's kind of where a lot of my input came in, was looking at sort of the qualitative side of um, what tribes were doing that were working and were successful, and then on into the dissemination part of the grant that really looked at what are these areas uh, that were successful in tribes and how could we um, use that as an example for tribes across the country and specifically here in the Northwest? And of course, that's where we want to go in this, uh, in this program. But uh, for those who are saying, uh, you know, I'm, if they're like me at all, I'm just trying to envision this. I'm thinking, are, are you ladies and your team, you're actually sitting in a gas station and acting like you're filling up your gas and kind of looking around? Is it kind of like undercover <laughs> work? Or, do you see what I'm, I'm wondering? More likely we're wearing a bright yellow vest. Okay. So no, people know we're out there and that we're, we have some kind of designation that we're working with the tribe. Okay. So that's why they're not, uh, you're not sneaking around. <laughs> yeah. We're not like any... creepy people walking okay. up to their car, but we do ask their permission okay. to observe. And, you know, part of it is we hang back and we observe what's happening. And then we walk up and ask if they would answer a few questions and consent to be included in that study. Now, I know one of the dynamics that we sometimes deal with is when we examine a population, whether it's a tribal population or another population, and the outcome isn't that good. You know, what we're finding, the, the results aren't that encouraging. Sometimes uh, there's pushback. You know, people say, well, this doesn't sound right. I think we're doing better. Did you get any of that when you were doing that initial data? Well, I think that's why you employ a mixed methods approach Mm -hmm. because sometimes just the hard quantitative data doesn't tell you the whole story and it may not tell you things that are strengths in the community like Mm -hmm. Candace was mentioning that, um, for example, in the qualitative data collection, folks talked about you know, I don't just care for my child. I mm. care about all the kids in my community mm-hmm. and that responsibility to the kids in my community, which I see as a community strength. Mm. So those might not have came out. And we tried to use those strengths and, and incorporate them in our plans and in our, in our media campaign. Excellent. I mean, so to me, the whole context is exciting because, you know, you have data. You, know, you First, you have those disparities. So you have native children that are having higher death rates than uh, neighboring populations. Mm -hmm. And then you do your initial analysis and bring that back to tribes. And they, they say, well, let's fix this instead of uh, saying, well, you know, you must, there must be some problem with your methodology. So, I mean, to me, it's an encouraging story and it brings us to where we're at today because you've actually implemented 
a number of things that have been making a difference. Yeah, and in some cases, tribes are able to move faster in terms of policy than maybe states are. Okay. We had one tribe that we worked with that had never had passenger restraint law, let alone a car seat law. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to not only um, create a law, but have it be more up-to-date with national recommendations mm -hmm. than the state of Idaho. Okay. in which their tribe is at. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I feel like they set an example for their state. <laughs> no, that's tremendous. So, Candace, bring us back to kind of your role. You're coming on board, and we're going to step away from some of the lessons because we're going to be coming mm -hmm. to those in, in later segments. But talk to, uh, to Native youth who might be turning in or uh, Native elders that are thinking of, you know, their grandkids and, you know, opportunities for them to give back to their tribe. Public health is a great way to do that. How mm -hmm. did you end up on this journey that brought you to the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board? Yeah, so so for me, it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, I initially, when I graduated high school in Central Oregon, I aspired to be a physician. Uh -huh. And I, I didn't quite exactly know how do I reach that place? How do I get into med school? Um, so when I went to college, I studied biology, I did some of the pre-med coursework. Um, and then after I had graduated, I, um, was a Epic tutor. So electronic health record tutor for local physicians here in the Providence health system. Um, and during that experience, I met a physician there who has become a mentor of mine and he shared with me about public health. I hadn't in my undergrad career, I hadn't heard of public health uh -huh, at all. Uh -huh. um, so when he shared that with me, um, and that was something that he he had done after med school, uh, uh -huh. going into an MPH program, I was I was amazed about uh, the opportunity to be able to impact uh, community, especially tribal community, on a level even beyond an individual, beyond a patient visit, and so. I uh, looked into the local Oregon Health and Science University MPH program and uh, applied to it, was accepted. And at that time, um, I wanted to kind of switch away from the, the epic tutoring I was doing mm -hmm. and had heard of the health board and applied here. Um, and I was research assistant uh, under some of Tam's projects with okay. the Native Cars program. While you were still doing your master's in Yeah, and I was just, just getting started with it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we want to learn with you guys <laughs> what you've been learning. We have to step away just for a couple of minutes. We're going to be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living, practical things that can make a difference for your tribe, and even if you're not Native, things that can make a difference for you, your family, your community. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are here in Portland, Oregon. I'm actually at uh, the venue where the uh, Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board continues to make uh, major contributions throughout Indian country, especially in the Pacific Northwest. And while we're speaking about uh, your organization, it would be nice just to step back as we begin this segment. And for folks that uh, maybe they're not Native, or maybe they are Native and they've heard about National Indian Health Board, maybe they've heard about a regional health board, uh, can you give us a picture, Tam, of, of how these health boards interdigitate and connect? Sure. So our health board's been around since 1972, and we serve um, the tribes of, Port- of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, um, the 43 recognized tribes of those states. Um, and we, each one of those tribes has a delegate that sits on our board who essentially are uh, direct the work that we do and set the priorities for our health board. Um, we provide um, technical assistance to tribes in terms of policy, in terms of research, in terms of data surveillance. Uh, we provide some uh, clinical support to tribes. Uh, we have a strategic agenda that we follow and revisit every 10 years. And um, within that, uh, those delegates uh, set our priorities that we work on. Mm-hmm. So um, in this, the board is a nonprofit organization, um, but our direction really comes from the tribes um, that are represented at our board. Now, Candace, uh, 43 federally recognized tribes in the, in the Northwest area that you guys serve. And we're talking about a pretty diverse part of the country. I mean, you've got very rural tribes. Uh, you've got uh, First Nation peoples that are living on tribal lands. You have others that are in actually lar- large urban centers like here in Portland or maybe in Seattle. Uh, any 
differences as you're kind of going into this project and looking at just kind of that scope? I mean, can you make some generalizations maybe about those that are based uh, maybe on a reservation, uh, more rural, more urban, anything like that jump out at you? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we with the Native Cars Project, there were six tribes, um, and, and each of those tribes is unique in the way that they're they're either approaching or maybe the the challenges that they might be facing are totally different. And I think that that's the the importance of why why this project is truly community based. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to take into account all of those differences so that the solutions that are made are truly impactful and responding to those communities. Um, so I think uh, definitely there's differences between tribes in Washington, Oregon, or, or Idaho, and even within each state. Um, you're looking at different ways that the, the laws are impacting those reservations, or if they have tribal lands that are a little bit different than, um, say, a reservation that has a specific set of uh, like land boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, Tam, as the co-principal investigator in this project, any things that jumped out at you, you know, kind of looking at that data and interfacing with the different tribes? Yeah, I mean, Candace talked a little bit about how you've seen one tribe, you've seen one tribe, and, and there was definitely variation among the six. There was also variation within a tribe. Um, for example, we had one tribal community where part of the observation area, um, there was a town that uh, was split between on-reservation and off-reservation. And what we found was um, restraint behaviors varied depending on where the observation took place, whether it was on or off reservation. Um, off reservation uh, had a law that was consistent with the NHTSA guidelines, um, and on reservation did not, and people's behaviors varied. And so what it told us was that maybe that law made a difference. So would these be the same people or different people? Um, it would be the same, same, uh, we were observing community members that were in one town. Okay. So, and part of that town was on res and part of it was off res. So I'm trying to get a picture of, yeah, if you're off res, you're always starting from that venue and coming back to it. So you're yeah. going to be, have to be minding, if you will, the laws of the surrounding community or the state, presumably, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what we took away from that is places that have stricter laws Mm -hmm. have better uh, rates of proper restraint use. Okay. And places that have no laws or weaker laws have less restraint use. So for non-Native listeners, they're saying, well, you know, what is all this? If someone lives in Washington, isn't the law, you know, the same throughout the whole state? Explain how things might work on a reservation or under tribal jurisdiction. Sure. So federally recognized tribes are sovereign nations. And hence, they have their own laws. So you may have a Washington state law, but on reservation, within that jurisdiction, they may either have a law that, they may have a law that refers to the Washington state law, or they may have a law that they have developed on their own. Mm -hmm. And it may be stronger than the Washington state law, or it could be weaker than the law. Okay. Um, It depends on that tribe. And the, what you learned in making this observation with this one tribe is basically people tend to mirror or at least make choices that are based on the prevailing laws, whether they're set by a, a tribal government or by a, 
uh, a non-tribal government. Right. And I think there's, I think what we did following um, collecting observation data is we went back to that community to ask them questions about that. Was it because of the you know, for some it was about the law and the fine associated with it. Okay. That if there was a fine that hurt, mm. they didn't want to also risk having mm. to pay for that ticket. Mm-hmm. And they knew it would be enforced by the by the state of Washington. Okay. Um for some people it was a matter of um sovereignty even. Mm. That, you know, this is my tribe and my law and this is what we do on our reservation. Okay. But I think um, there were many other ways that we also um, provided information and value around child restraint uh, that that became less apparent. So historically, a lot of people, when they hear about public health, Candace, they're thinking, well, these are people that uh, maybe we know of as health educators, maybe they're community health workers, and they've They've, they've helped with a, you know, a certain task or some, giving us some, uh, educational, uh, information. But, um, a lot of things in the public health world today, you know, speak about, you know, working with, uh, legislation and other things. How did that work in this project? I mean, were, did you start with a focus on more of an educational focus? Were you looking broadly? Uh, how did things play out? Yeah, I think so. When I first started, we were doing some of those child safety seat observations in the community. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, sort of shifted into looking at how, how those tribes, uh, were working as models for either other tribes in the Northwest or even for, for their own selves. Like, what are the, what are those community protective factors mm-hmm. that facilitate, um, increasing use of child passenger seats, for example? Um, so it, I think it, came down to uh, shifting into uh, education, mm-hmm. um, not only education for the community, but for um, education to many different tribal communities, depending on the state of uh, what their use of child safety seats were. So, Tam, basically, as we're speaking about this whole topic, I think one of the things that some people already are probably asking about this show is, you know, they're talking about child safety seats, and I've heard so many conflicting things. Well, you know, how am I going to know what to do? Is this an issue in Indian country too? Um, yes, it is. Um, I think um, in the past there have been very um, – the guidelines that have been out there that have been set by NHTSA or AAP uh, have been about a certain age or a certain size. So, for example, it used to be, you know, keep your, your infant in an uh, infant rear-facing seat until they reach 20 pounds, or it was keep your kid in a booster seat until they're eight. And it's really shifted to being, um, to looking at the actual seat, that car seat that you're using, and looking at what the recommendations are for that particular seat. We want to keep kids rear-facing as long as they can Mm. in their car seat, uh, because that protects their neck and their spine. And, um, t- in order to know if you have them in the proper seat, you got to look at that owner's manual that comes with your car seat and you have to look at your owner's manual for your vehicle and understand how long you can keep that car, car seat rear facing. And, um, when is the time to turn it around based on their, um, their weight and size and, um, when to graduate up to a larger seat. Mm-hmm. And the, and uh, so there isn't a blanket recommendation like there used to be. 
So basically what I hear you saying, Tam, is, you know, message for parents, message for grandparents. If you're wondering what to do for your children, your grandchildren, get a good car seat and then follow the manufacturer's instructions. Is that the message? Yes. And there's um, certified uh, child passenger safety technicians that are out there um, that you can go to um, safekids.org. And you can put in your state. There's a place in safekids.org where you can put in your um, state and find a CPS tech that can help advise you on the right seat. Oftentimes wow. they're at at uh, police stations or um, head starts or um, fire stations. And you can also go to our website, which is nativecars.org. Oh, and excellent. we have a lot of information about um, car seats, about how to plan programs for your community around improving child safety seat use. Well, we want to come back uh, okay. in our next segment, and we'll, we'll give that information again because I know that went by pretty quick, but we do have to step away. We're going to be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living, uh, giving you some really practical information about child safety, and then we're going to talk about some amazing changes that have happened as a result of the Native Cars program. You don't want to miss that. More right after this. Stay tuned. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose here in Portland, Oregon, talking with Tam Lutz and uh, across from her, uh, her colleague who has been uh, really sharing on this journey, Candace Jimenez, you've been uh, uh, giving us perspectives from someone who's kind of jumped into the public health workforce more recently uh, as part of your training, getting involved, and then uh, getting your uh, your master's level training and continuing to, to use it to give back to tribes. We want to give out that information again about resources that you have here that you've put together that tribes will want to take advantage of. But before we do, uh, Tam, and I know I promised that right when we come back, so hopefully my listeners are giving me a little bit of grace, but for those who are just joining us, I want to, I want to put this in some context. We're talking about the research that you're doing, and a lot of times in public health, one of the criticisms has been that people might come in with an agenda. They might say, we're going to fix this problem. Here's what we're going to do. we got a great educator. Or we'll help you change policies. How, how do you really know what to do in any given setting? Great. So I think um, that's what's great about our project with Native Cars is it's really community-driven. Tribes are collecting the data. We're looking together at the data analysis with them, and they're interpreting the findings from it. And from that, they customize their intervention plans about what they think are going to be um, the right levels of intervention. For example, um, you may be, without collecting community-level data, you may have in your mind, like, I need to throw some car seats at it, and i got to do a mm-hmm. media campaign. Mm-hmm. But maybe the data you collect um, leads you somewhere else, mm-hmm. and that you have to look at um, the level of intervention, whether it's something that um, is about building awareness or um, is it about uh, creating policy change? Is it changing something in the environment or changing some sort of like safety practice within the community? Uh, so for each um, tribe, we looked at uh, both the rates of car seat use. We looked at um, uh, were there certain um, were there certain children that were more at risk? And then, for example, it could have been kids riding with non-parents or um, kids riding in a vehicle close to home. It could be kids that were of booster seat age. And then we start to think about what modes of um, intervention are most appropriate. Is it more appropriate to create a law, or is it more appropriate to um, build an education campaign? Mm -hmm. And we, we fit those interventions based on the evidence that we collected. So let's come back to the website now. So if I go to the website... Am I going to basically find information about how to choose car seats, or is it much broader? Are you going to help me if I'm a tribal leader, for example, anywhere in the country? Can I go to this website and get information that would help me and help my tribe? Um, it's much broader, I think. It, um, it's meant to provide sort of a learning platform. Okay. So it has everything from the very beginning. If you were starting from ground zero and you didn't know if your community was ready for um, developing a program around improving child safety seat. It, sh- it has uh, modules within it that look at how would you collect data or how would you use existing data if you didn't have the resources to collect community data. Um, it provides another module around um, creating community activities based on your data. Mm-hmm. Um, it has um, examples for how to create a media campaign, whether on radio, like wow, we're here today, okay, or okay. Um, posters, or PSAs, or um, billboards, all types of media. Um, it has um, 
uh, a module geared towards people that are CPS techs and are trying to create uh, child safety seat clinics. What are some of the other modules, Candice? Uh, some of the other ones uh, included um, like how to set up um, electronic health record alerts for providers to um, not only remember uh, during like a well child visit, uh, let's talk about car seat education mm. with the family, but mm -hmm. going beyond that, if, if there was a need that was um, found during that visit, maybe they don't have a car seat, maybe, right. maybe they're borrowing a car seat, maybe they don't know how to use it, then mm -hmm. they're able to, providers are able to connect up with uh, car seat safety techs who, you know, have that sort of technical knowledge and mm -hmm. are up to date on the recent standards or manufacturer recommendations. Um, and I, I think that uh, it also Tampa has creating uh, how to create a tribal law yeah. and what all that would entail, not wow. just drafting um, a resolution for the tribe, but also creating fee schedules, how to roll out a law. What does the process look like in terms of um, um, holding community hearings and what you might uh -huh. do to help you pass that particular law, not only pass the law, but also implement it so that people know that it's coming. And so that law enforcement is ready to. Um, implement that law, and that it also pro provides um, some training and information on how to work with tribal police around hmm. um, child safety. Well, Candace, this sounds amazing. So any tribe who who's listening to this show or becomes aware of your website, if someone says, well, boy, we're just a, a small tribe, we don't have any kind of resources, they mm -hmm. can just go to this website and you basically walk them through how you could set up a program? Exactly. Yeah. And as Tam mentioned, it has a, a module that talks about um, how do I identify like what, what readiness my community is in. Um, so it can walk you through like these are the different steps um, as well as building a coalition in your community. You want to mm. get people that can champion um, keeping it sustainable uh, for the future. Excellent. So mm -hmm. what is that website? It's called nativecars.org. So now CARS is more than just talking about CARS. Isn't that an acronym as well? Yes, we, we've had it over the years for Children Always Ride Safe, but we are moving into a new phase where I think we're, get, we're considering changing it to Native Communities Always Ride Safe. Oh. Um, we've had such, such success with Native CARS that we've really wanted to expand it into a broader look um, about motor vehicle injury and death. And what other types of um, injury or what are leading causes of injuries and deaths in, um, in tribal communities. So we're taking a special look at um, motor vehicle pedestrian deaths, um, looking at um, death, uh, uh, death data and uh, hospitalization data. We're going to be looking at um, trauma registries. Mm -hmm. um, so looking, having a broader picture of not just how children are um, injured, uh, uh, motor vehicle injury and death for children, but also for adults. So if I'm wanting to go to the website, I could put native cars into a search engine. But is that actually the website as well, native cars? Yes. Nativecars.org. Dot org. Yes. Make sure you don't put nativecars.com. It's nativecars.org. Okay. Dot com will give me... <laughs> Something uh, about cars. Okay, I was, I was wondering. <laughs> okay, okay. So nativecars.org, and that can bring any person right to to all these great resources that you've developed right here at yes. the Northwest Portland Area yes. Indian Health Board. And we'll be continuing to update that website, mm -hmm. especially around the data section, as we learn um, more about motor motor vehicle injury and death more broadly. 
And we, what, what we hope is, is that in our work, um, with these new data sets that are, um, you know, available for nationally and for our region, uh, that we can um, be assistance of tribes on how to utilize that data um, to provide them a, a, an even broader picture about motor vehicle injury and death for their communities. So we have one tribe um, that we're already working with right now uh, that is, um, we've been able to provide some help uh, and technical assistance around their um, motor vehicle death and injury data uh, that led them to really look more closely at motor vehicle um, uh, pedestrian injuries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they're responding to that data and um, creating safer places for their community to walk in that community. We definitely want to talk about these broader topics as well. But before we go much further, Christine, as one of the newer members of the team, and I know I, I say that guardedly because it's been, what, it's been seven years, right, that you've been here. Yes. Um, so it's not like you just got here. But a lot of times when a person gets into a field where they want to make a difference, the very fact that you've been in it for seven years and yet you have a little bit fresher perspective and maybe Tam, who's been here for a couple decades, what is it that keeps you coming coming back uh, and, and has you excited about this? I know you could... Uh, do a lot of things with your training. Yeah, I think the the thing that keeps me um, excited about public health um, is most importantly being able to uplift Native communities, not only my own, but tribal communities um, just across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's most important is the fact that we, we have to pay attention to the health disparities mm -hmm. um, and there, um, there are so many opportunities and there's so many strengths in our own tribal communities to create solutions. And I, our tribal communities have those solutions for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's up to us as public health professionals to really amplify what those are. And that, that keeps me excited. Before we come back to the whole stream of the, the program and talking about other practical things we can do to decrease motor vehicle uh, injuries and deaths across Indian country, not just among children, one of the interesting things that I think happens to all of us, whether we're a public health professional, whether we're involved in uh, clinical health care, is uh, the very fact, the very experience of serving other people sometimes changes us. It always changes us, but sometimes in ways that are surprising to us. You've been working on a, a project dealing with kids, especially initially, and uh, lowering death rates among children in Indian country, if you want to say that was one of the big goals. Tam, have you found that in going through this process, it's maybe changed your outlook in some way or encouraged you or, or helped you on your own health journey in any way? Um, sure. I, I think, especially in this project, it's um, maybe a better listener mm. and um, really um, think about, about the solutions that come out of our tribes in mm -hmm. terms of addressing health. Mm -hmm. um, what I really enjoyed about this project was the time we spent um, listening to individuals about what their experiences were, not mm -hmm. just about child safety seat use, but about how they address their self, their health concerns in their community and build on those successes that they'd already had. Uh, but put a child safety seat lens on it. Um, oftentimes, 
there is expertise in the community and there are champions and, um, and being able to, uh, support those champions in the community, um, is a great feeling. Candace, one of the things that sometimes we hear from people across generational spectrums, and of course, depending on where they're at in Indian country is sometimes they don't feel really connected with their native heritage. Mm -hmm. As you've been working in public health, as you work with different tribes, have you found that really solidifies your identification with your roots? Um, I think it, uh, it's, it's part of the, the, for me, uh, it honors the way, um, that we access all the different parts of our own journey. Um, like for me, it's been, um, a big place in my heart to focus on my education. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that's been passed on, um, in my family is to always, uh, further yourself, to keep learning, to keep accomplishing, increase that knowledge base. And I think, um, everything that we do here, Tam and I, um, and our team is really to, um, give, uh, gives honor to that, gives honor to our communities. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, So I think that, that rings true for me. Yeah. We do have to step away. We've got a final segment coming up. We're going to talk more about some very practical things you can do at a community level and an individual level that can make a difference as far as, uh, really, safeguarding you and those that you love. Don't miss our final segment. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Tam Lutz and Candace Jimenez. We're talking about things that you can do to make a difference in your community. We've been talking about some great resources that are available. If you're just joining us, the single thing to remember is a website. Uh, Candace, again, give us that website www.nativecars.org, which takes you to the Native Cars Atlas. Excellent, excellent. And it'll help people with a variety of things. Coming back, though, to uh, one of the most important messages of the program, Tam, is what can people do, whether it's at a tribal level or an individual level, to safeguard the lives of children and parents, grandparents across the whole age spectrum? What kind of things have jumped out at you? Well, I would say on an individual level, is uh, using a passenger restraint on the most basic level, whether you're the driver or any passenger in that vehicle, keeping your kids in the rear seat, um, choosing an appropriate uh, car seat for your child's age and size, looking at your car seat user manual, reading that, knowing that, knowing how to install your seat. And if you don't know how to install your car seat, find a certified child passenger safety technician in your community that can help you choose the right seat, can help you install the seat, can make sure that you that you have the skills to do that on your own, and making sure that other people who are transporting your children um, also know how to put in that car seat and know how to put your kid or your child into the car seat and uh, properly restrain them in it. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you ladies hear this much anymore, But I know a lot of times when I've heard people talk about this messaging of of using passenger restraints, it seems like there's always someone that's going to tell you that story of Grandpa Joe who was thrown clear of his car that burned or someone who drove the car into water and they were able to get out quickly because they were not restrained. Do you still get those objections from people in, in uh, in your work? Not that often. I mean, I hear stories like that too, but we also hear stories... Um, from the tribes that we're working with, um, we had a police officer that responded to a collision where the parents were injured, um, fortunately not mortally injured, but um, the child was completely unscathed, mm. correctly installed in the car seat. And the mother had said to the police officer, um, thank goodness I talked to the Native Cars Coordinator because wow. she showed me how to put my child uh, correctly into their car seat. That is and so exciting. That kept that kid safe. That is so exciting. I mean, you had to feel good when you hear, heard that story. Oh yeah, it kind of brings Definitely. tears to your eyes. Yeah, wonderful. Well, what What about in your experience, Candace? Is there much pushback uh, in your experience uh, as far as uh, you know passenger restraints? No, I I think the only thing that I would have um, recalled is uh, some elders who who have grown up in a, a different time with respect to laws and. Mm-hmm maybe might have a little bit of a pushback with regard to like tribal sovereignty and mm-hmm. the laws that they're abiding by. Um, but other than that, really good um, insight overall. Well, and this is a great question. You know, so, you know, this is one of the, the areas that you mentioned in, in the in the dialogue, the whole tribal sovereignty issue, and especially for elders. Uh, it's easy to feel that this is a, uh, a non-native agenda and that tribes is being forced on tribes, but you as native leaders 
are helping people to see, no, this is about protecting our own communities. Has that been a challenge, Tam, in, in any of the dialogue? Um, I don't think we've had a lot of pushback from people about pursuing this. In fact, it was one of our questions on our vehicle observations. We asked if we were to propose a law in each one of the communities or the tribal site coordinators that worked at each community, if they proposed a law, would would the community members support that? And upwards of 90% of the individuals interviewed all said that they would support wow, that that's tremendous. to happen tremendous. in their community. Now, I've got another question because we're always thinking about the, the next generation of, of public health professionals. And uh, it's so great to see so many native leaders in the public health community, but we continue to need, you know, new people in the ranks, right? So Candace, first uh, for you, let me just tell you a very brief story. Some years ago, I think I was at the American Public Health Association meetings when I ran into this uh, particular physician, and he was telling me, well, I used to be a clinician, but I really wanted to help a lot of people. So I ended up leaving clinical medicine and going into public health. And it sounds like Kind of in a way, you went on that journey in your mind. You started wanting to be a physician, and now you're a public health professional. Has that kind of played out the way you envisioned it? Yeah, and I I think that even I, uh, till most recently, didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that even though I had um, that aspiration of going into like clinical medicine, I I also fell in love with public health too, mm-hmm. the the way in which that you can really interact with a community and impact a lot of people mm-hmm. um, with things that do work. So Tam, it sounds like uh, over the twenty years or so that you've been here, you've taken a special interest in nurturing other Native young people as far as their careers. Uh, do you still enjoy doing that part of the work? I love that piece of my work. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so there's still opportunities if someone's listening today and they say, boy, I don't even know who to talk with. I mean, could they pick up a phone oh, and, and call you? Certainly. Okay. We're available at the health board. So I'm very um, interested in um, providing support to other Native people that want to go to public health or want to work on public health policy even. Um, there's a real shortage of Native people that are interested in biostatistics, mm. um, at least in our region. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a real push to get more Native people um, involved in uh, policy development and helping, you know, set a policy agenda yeah, for the yeah. nation. So Yeah, this is a great observation. And I guess what I would say is we've given out the nativecars.org website. So that's great for a lot of these insights into, you know, developing programs, analyzing tribal data, how can you work with your tribe to to increase safety in your community as far as vehicles. But what about uh, a connection point for people that want to contact the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board or or connect with one of you? Sure. You can reach us um, at Native Cars. Yeah, Native Cars at npaihb.org. So if you just look up the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board, we also have our uh, Native Cars team listed there, and you can email us through that. Um, we also have our contact info on the nativecars.org website as well with a, a contact form. Okay. And our main number is 503-228-4185, where you can reach either Candace or I. <laughs> okay, let me see if we can get that number. It's area code 503-228-4185. Mm-hmm. 
or if they just remember nativecars.org. Yes. Through that uh, website, they can get connect with the uh, the board. They can connect with uh, with you folks individually. Yes. So uh, so that's great. You know, as we're in the home stretch of the program, one of the things that I always think about when I'm doing a show, if I'm the guest, is boy, I wished I had had just a little more time and I had said something about X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Uh, this is that uh, that time in the show. We're in the home stretch. And Candace, if uh, you're saying, boy, one message I'd really like people to walk away from this show with, what would it be? Um, I think it's just to remember that um, for a community who are working with tribes, uh, a reminder that um, to remember that the community you're working with is the community that has the solutions. It's... Um, most important to enter a community with respect and look for their guidance for um, for solutions and to remember that they they carry the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom um, for whatever uh, concerns might be related to health or public health or any other topic. I, I love that picture. So basically, you're really trying to look at the internal resources exactly. of the tribe and saying, you know, what what can you bring to bear here? Mm-hmm. What about you, Tam, as as you look at this uh, this big picture? Um, I think in terms of uh, determining what the needs are for your community, if you don't currently work with data, it may be a four-letter word, but it doesn't have to be a scary word. Okay. It's just information. And I think through our Native Cars um, website, it really can demystify what that means to collect data and make simple ways to do that that can be really meaningful to uh, determining what you can best do for your community. So one of the things I've heard several times from you, Tam, really a a plea almost, is we have such a need for people to be willing to collect and analyze data in Indian country. Don't be afraid of the math and the numbers because there's really power in that data, isn't it? Yeah, and it really helps in a time where resources are scarce. It really helps us utilize um, both our personal resources and financial resources in a way that has the, the, the best hope for making change in our community. And to me, it's such a fitting note to close the show on because really the whole Native Cars project was driven by collecting data, analyzing that data, and then saying, you know, how can we go back to the tribes? What kind of resources do you have to address the problems? Yes, exactly. Tremendous stuff. Again, that website, nativecars.org. Tam Lutz, Candace Jimenez, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you. We do have to say goodbye. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.